In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. Today, we're talking about how we know what's the end of the world. Everything's already been done. Every kind of music's been tried. Every kind of government's been tried. Every fucking hairstyle. Bubblegum flavors, you know, breakfast cereal. What are we going to do? How are we going to make another thousand years? I'm telling you, man, it's over. We used it all up. So, here today to guest on a podcast about remaking movies is a fantasy author who assures me he is quite bullet-resistant. Danny Bell! Bullets, my one weakness. How did you know? <laughs> so, Danny, is Strange Days a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? Strange Days should be remade. I don't think it's been... I don't think it has been remade. I think that maybe in the sense of the world got weirdly darker than the movie predicted. <laughs> it took a little bit longer than the five years that they suggested, but yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, they definitely now have cops rolling through streets on tanks, which is a real thing that happens. Yeah, that was, uh, and part of the conceit of that movie was that the, one of the darkest things that could happen would be if the police got military equipment. That would never happen. Yeah, that'd be too much (laughs) equipment. Yeah. Oi, um, This is a movie I had to watch in chunks, which I rarely have to do, but it was one of those things where I had to keep stepping away and going, okay, this is a, this is one of the darkest movies we've covered. Yeah. It, now. It is now one of the dark. When it came out, it was probably like, that'll never happen. Now it is one of the darkest movies we've ever covered. Right. So that movie came out in 95. Yep. And I was still a, a, a wee lad. I was a child when that came out. And I remember just... I remember watching it at the time, and I I clearly did not get all the themes at the time. And I was just like, oh, I'm a big, you know, Blade Runner fan. Running Man was great. You know, I kind of, like, (laughs) liked the idea of, like, the post-apocalyptic future. And I think I was, like, I think it was, like, in middle school when I came out. And they were playing it down at, like, the the dollar theaters. Oh, yeah. And I, I snuck off, and I went to go see one. And at the time, I just remembered the idea of, like... Oh, virtual reality is cool, right? Like, you, know, this, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and a lot of the, I mean, for me, it was at the time, it was like a, a noir detective with VR in the future kind of thing. And this was at a time when the idea of all those ideas were like impossible at the time. And I think I didn't pick up on exactly how dark the movie was. In fact, I haven't I hadn't seen it in a very long time until we discussed potentially, you know, watching it together. And when I went back to go see it, there was part of me that had immediate regret. I was like, "Oh no. What have <laughs> I Cuz honestly, the VR is not really the part of this movie I focused on. Like I don't no. necessarily need to change any of that. It's just like, "Oh my god, this world." <laughs> yeah, so This is bad. Yeah, and and part of that I will say as well is the movie was well i mean i would say it's a thousand percent ahead of its time yeah like and the people that were involved with it i think even the the people that were involved with you know in the making of the movie across the board didn't know what they had you know they had uh james cameron wrote it Catherine bigelow directed it which i i Catherine bigelow i knew going in mm-hmm. i didn't know james cameron wrote this movie until i got to the end credits <laughs> and then like 
written by James Cameron. I was like, what? (laughs) What? The Titanic references didn't clue you in a little bit? No. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I mean, James Cameron, you know, has always had ideas about what the future might be. And and a love of the ocean. Yeah. True. Uh, The ocean will save us all, especially if our limousine's on fire. Yeah, I was I was actually talking about coming on this podcast with a friend of mine and talking about the movie, and they were starting to say that uh, even Waterworld was looking a little bit more hopeful than our current day today. Oh, talking about no. talking about post apocalyptic. Yeah, well, Waterworld is they're coming out on the other side, right? Yeah. Plus, you get this great show at Universal. Yes, and uh, you know all the all the sea salt you can uh, you can taste. Absolutely. So I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about just the struggle of trying to watch this movie. Yeah, go for it. Since I don't think, I don't recall an instance of any episode in the show, and I've done some obscure movies where it has not been available online at all. Like, it's eventually, usually my last resort is I'll just go to Amazon and pay the three or four dollars and watch it there. That wasn't available, not on iTunes, it wasn't on any of the streaming sites. It got to a point where I was going to watch this movie last night with a friend of mine. We were, I called Amoeba to say, hey, can I, do you guys have a DVD copy? And the guy on the phone said, yeah, yeah, is DVD okay? They they never re-released it on Blu-ray. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Not freshly out. I'm like, oh no. (laughs) And so eventually. I might have got your copy, by the way. Oh, really? (laughs) Funny. Uh, But like. Eventually, we figured out a way to watch it, but like I was—I almost made a trip down to a cinephile on Sawtell mm-hmm. to be there when they opened at 11 a.m. this morning to go pick up their only copy of the DVD to rent it, watch it, and then bring it back before recording. Yeah, I, I bought a copy, and I think it was like 40 bucks. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's a rare DVD. That's part it, of it. That's the thing. Yeah. Because it's not streaming anywhere. It's not being reprinted. If this movie hasn't been re-released on Blu-ray... By now, it might not be. And especially because this is a movie that was originally made by Fox. Right. It now might, it now definitely belongs to Disney and they may have just kind of thrown it in the vault. Yeah, I, that's what I had largely heard was that there might have been like some rights issues that were holding it up from being re released and with, things. With music? Because it's normally music, but. Yeah, well, I think even the, that's that's a weird thing because a lot of the music in the for better and for worse. I mean, that's one of the things we'll get into, I'm sure. But because uh, it's original music, yeah. If and when they remake it, and they probably should, uh, they should probably get someone who's not James Cameron to write rap lyrics. Uh, that was that, that is true. That was one of the that was one of the small points in the movie that pulled me out of it and was like, oh yeah. Jericho One is not a realistic rap star. Yeah, there were a couple moments where like <laughs> people were rapping, and I was like, this isn't. You should have just had this rapper write it. Yeah. Give him the content and say go. Like, when because Jericho's on my list and I did cast an up-and-coming up rapper. Like, someone who was, like, becoming known for doing exactly that. Mm-hmm. Almost for exactly the same reasons. And I feel like they should be able to do this. Like, you do these movies all the time. Like, you let the artist be artist. Yeah. I think that uh, Jericho One's character was supposed to be kind of this weird amalgam of like a you know Malcolm X, Tupac and Bob Marley. Right. Like and I I think that's an exact I think that's exactly right. Yeah. 
The other thing with this movie coming out in 1995 is for this episode of the podcast, this episode of the podcast kind of feels like a spiritual successor to my episode three, which was Demolition Man, which also came out around that same time because it kind of was conceived and created just after the L.A. riots. So it's kind of taking that idea of what was going on then and kind of extrapolating it further. And whereas Demolition Man kind of came away with that with the idea of, oh, the scary black man. This movie came away with like, well, maybe, but the cops are pretty corrupt and it this is kind of the natural response to the shit some of these people are being put through. Yeah. And if anything, this was darker, but also probably a little bit more correct. It was... So, I'll kind of give a little bit of my, you know, how the movie tied into real life. And I think, you know, what, what it got not far enough and how it maybe ended a bit hopeful uh before we talk about maybe i think some of the the re the remake stuff but yeah the the things the movie got weirdly right for a movie was uh a good example is early on in the movie there is a sex worker that is killed and when they're talking about you know what do we do about it there's a comment made between you know, two ex-cops, actually three ex-cops. Yeah, uh, Tom Sizemore's character was an ex-cop as well, right? Yeah, that was that was. I think so. Yeah, I forgot about that part. Yeah, because he was saying, "Yeah, my old friends in homicide." And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were all they were all ex-cops for various reasons, for different reasons. But there is a there is a line where they're talking about, you know, what do we do about it? It's the Iris, uh, his friend Iris, right? And they make the very blatant comment, which is, "Well, she's a sex worker. They're not going to look into it." That is, yeah. And and that is the, and one, that is, you know, terrible because that is the thing that is still prevalent today. Right. You know, it's, uh, you know, and now we're, thankfully we're trying to, uh, there's there's at least, you know, more of a movement now than ever that, you know, is trying to, you know, decriminalize sex work and, and normalize it and, as it should. But back then, you know, even in their, their far look into the future of the year 2000, you know, right. it was... The, the look was, yeah, it's not whatever. And, you know, the the ideas of, you know, the the police being racist and, you know, and, and going unchecked and, you know, and, and being militarized and, you know, and, and all of that. Uh, those are all obvious things for today. Um, they are. But honestly, you messaged me this on Facebook that they don't quite go far enough. And the honest thing is that you're, you're right. Yeah. So one of the things that's going on is... This sex worker, Iris, witnesses uh, these two cops just killing uh, the unarmed Jericho one because he was, they happen to pull him over and he ends up being this this hip hop artist, this rapper who uh, was making a big stink, who was being a leader to his people and saying, look, this what what's happening to us isn't fair. And he gets taken out. But what the movie ends up, what and so these two cops basically are stalking Iris and like all this is happening uh, throughout the movie, but what they end up kind of discovering at the end is that it isn't a systemic corruption within the police force. It's just these two crazy cops, one of whom is Vincent D'Onofrio, which I find very funny. Yeah, and the other is I'm blanking on his name. His name is uh, William Feichner. Feichner, yeah. Fichtner. He he's uh, he's one of those actors who everything I've ever seen him in is amazing. In fact, as a quick aside, uh, if you ever have a chance to watch uh, a movie called Drive Angry. Okay. It, it might it might be my favorite Nick Cage movie. He plays. Well, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's going to watch it, but I will say this: Drive Angry 
is the best Ghost Rider movie ever made. And it, it's, that's it's great. Not, and it's not Ghost Rider. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so they like say it's just these two cops and it's not a systemic problem. And the problem is that it's, it is, in fact, a systemic problem. Yeah. Like, and it, you can't have the army, the LAPD, going through the city streets in tanks and then say there's not a systemic problem. Well, I would argue against that because there were B-roll shots kind of in the beginning where they were, you know, because the riots were happening. Right. And and there was some some shots of, of random cops being, you know, brutal for no reason. And, right. But, I mean, yeah, they weren't flat out murdering. But to, And then they also have the hero shot at the end where the other cops take down Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. And that is, that is where I think the movie doesn't go anywhere near far enough is... The movie has this idea, which is funny because I understand. I understand why they said it. It was at the time. It was after the Rodney King thing, like yeah. you were saying. And part of it was, you know, that this happens all the time. But because it was caught on camera this one time, you know, this is what happens. People will rise up, and people won't won't stand for it. And now we see innocent people, particularly people of color, being murdered by the police on camera all the time and getting off on it get, getting yeah. off for it like they they don't they don't suffer consequence so and, and that's one way one major way where the movie says you know yeah ultimately people are good and people won't tolerate you know this kind of abuse of power and now we've kind of seen otherwise that, yeah that, like <laughs> there's this moment where uh mace gives a copy of the tape the the tape of the two cops killing Jericho one to the head of police. Uh, they have a Steckler and they have a Strickland. Strickland's the head of the police. Yeah. And they give it to Strickland and she's like, you watch this tape and you'll see. And it's this one of, oh yeah, yeah, he's, he's the good one because he's the one that forced out uh, Nero. And then he is the good one and he, he it turns out he, he isn't corrupt and he's like, yeah, arrest those two cops. I saw the tape. But I don't think that's what would happen in real life. Yeah, no, there'd be uh, administrative leave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and even I mean, even part of that shot is Fickner's character is uh, understands he's going to go to jail and just kills himself. Right, and you know because he's like, well, I I wouldn't last in jail, and it's in today's yeah. cops, it would be a I Cop, mean, cops don't do well in jail. Yeah, but I mean, even today, I mean, we had a uh, I mean. We had to have an extreme case recently where a cop entered into the wrong apartment and murdered a man who was just sitting in his own home. Right. And even then, the nation seemed to be fairly shocked when she actually got convicted. Right. Because people like Eric Gardner, who were or or, uh, were or children, yeah, or um, yeah, yeah, or um, Philando Castile, yeah, you know, a lot of these people who were who were blatantly murdered on camera. And there was no consequences for the cops. I mean, so when one finally did go to jail, it was a, you know, major, it was a, it was a shocking event for some people, which it shouldn't be. But yeah, with this movie, the, 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 one of the biggest conceits is, I mean, and and they make a big deal about it in the movie. They say, do you understand what would happen if a video got out of a cop killing an innocent black man? Why it would destroy everything. It would it would take down the system. There would be war. Yeah. Oh my God. You know it would it would it would implode everything. And it's no, not really. I yeah. Mean, yeah, which is unfortunate because the real moral dilemma of the movie is: Do you release this tape or not? Because if you just release it to the public, you might instigate a war in this in in their world. Right. In our world, 
Yeah, you release it because it's the best chance anyone has of seeing justice. Like, there is no moral dilemma now. Now you just release that tape. Yeah, and it, it's, 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 it makes for interesting dystopia because, I mean... I think at this point it's just dystopia. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we do live in the dystopia now. Um, but in terms of the movie, I mean, you know, near future, post-apocalyptic, whatever you want to call it, however you would, you would categorize where this movie is at. I, I think uh, I, I would categorize it like IMDb Pro categorizes it, categorizes it, which is an action crime drama. Mm, I mean, now maybe it is because it's more hopeful than real life. But at the time, it was set in a dystopic future. I think right, there's a dystopic future of 1999. Yeah, four to five years ahead of when this movie was released. Hey, all like I'm... they called their shot real hard. All I'm saying, man, is Mega Man takes place in the year 2000X. So <laughs> <laughs> that's smarter because, like, you're like, yeah, yeah, 2000X. Maybe it's it could be whenever. Yeah, we're we're currently past the Blade Runner timeline. We're, so. we're past all of it. Yeah. That's when they had to release the new Blade Runner one. Yeah, like I in in November we recorded an episode because it was beca- on Blade Runner because it was happening right now. It was a movie taking place in the present. All things aside, we should actually talk about how we would want to remake this movie. Like, we're me- remaking Strange Days right now. How do we restructure the story? How do we how do we adjust it to make it more current? Because this is a movie before cell phones. Yeah. And everyone was surprised to find this technology on all these different people. Well, they did have cell phones in the movie. Remember? Tom, a little bit. Tom Sizemore was calling on one. and Yeah. yeah they, they, not, they, they weren't commonplace, but people did have them. But it, but it was treated like a... A rare piece of technology. Right. But what I would do is they kind of have this moment where it's like you have to be wearing this special recording equipment in order to be, to be going through all of this. The squid. The squid. I would just make that standard. Literally every human being has a squid because or something like that because that's just what cell phones have evolved into. It's just like a permanently affixed now piece of your body. And it's only people who've downloaded or uploaded this specific app can actually record and hook into their own experiences. So it's something literally everyone has, but then it's just like down, like, and people can go home at the end of the day and record their entire day so they could relive that day over and over again. It's just then the black market of people who then sell those experiences. Because we already, we already are already constantly plugged into technology. It's not a huge leap to be recording our own experiences. That's basically what we do already anyway. Right. I would say, so one thing that I wouldn't change from the story, but then there's one thing that I would change from it. The one thing that, that I would I would not change from the story is that they mentioned that the squids were uh, developed by the by the FBI to replace, right. you know... Surveillance. Yeah, and then, and you know, then black got market out. got out. Yeah. yeah. What, I'm comfortable with that, but, like, there's a lot of things that were developed for military and then just became public. I mean, Velcro. Right. So what Squids are the new Velcro. What what I would say to that, what I would change is, and it's funny because as I was thinking about this movie, I started realizing that Black Mirror actually made an episode. I'm sure that Black is, Mirror is always a couple of heads, a couple steps ahead of this podcast, right? Uh, well, I mean that's that's part of it is that the the Black Mirror like this actually works more as a Black Mirror episode now than it would as a as a far flung movie because we've already gotten past some of the worst things that Strange Days says. And in, we're now living in it. And I think that to update it, what I would say is, again, going back to the 
to the idea of dystopia, right? You know, every dystopia is about scarcity, right? Okay. You know, like Mad Max is a dystopia about scarcity of gas, right? And water. But mostly water. Yeah. Gas and water. Um, mostly water. But uh, you're right. Sorry about that. Uh, but yeah. But also gas. Like, they're both they're both in short demand. I feel like, yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, you get the, the idea is, you know, yeah. or Blade Runner is about, you know, uh, scarcity of humanity. Right. They all have their own something is scarce. And so what I would say should be the scarcity in the new one and kind of goes into how I would make the technology and what I would make it about is the scarcity of experience. So one of the things that that social media does today is, and I think you would agree with this, is people, when they go online, most of the time, most people put their best foot forward. Yeah. They always try to make the ideal version of their life on social media. They don't try to share the bad moments, the normal moments, or if they do, it's almost treated as a gimmick thing sometimes. Yeah. Wow, can you believe I didn't use a filter for this picture? Sure. That kind of thing. I'm not wearing makeup. Isn't that wild? You know, and meanwhile, it's like most of the time people are like, I will apologize. I did not wear makeup for this podcast. I don't want you to think that that means I respect you any less. I am wearing makeup. Oh, well. Yeah. Just just a little. I'm flattered. Just a little blush. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but what I would say to that is I would still want to make the technology to have evolved to a point where everybody would use it by having the security that it's unhackable, right? Because I think that if most people, if, if the technology of being able to see their, their daily lives was available, it would be you know, it would be horrible, right? People would be terrified of that. But if you gave it kind of the same security uh, assurance that people have in, say, blockchain, right? You know, oh, you can't hack uh, Bitcoin. Sure. You know, if you were to, and that's a really easy thing to write in. You can just write in, you can even write in this blockchain, right? You yeah. know, oh, your security is based on, you I, know. I would say the security is secure as long as it, it can exist within you or within the device. As soon as you take it off the device, you, you take it out from behind the blockchain wall. See, what I would actually out say... Out of the blockchain link fence. What I would actually say there is, is instead of actually having like an external piece of hardware in terms of something on the side of your head or anything like that, or even an implant, I would just make it a very standard thing that everybody has uh, contacts that just kind of like permanently attach to their eye. Unless something goes wrong and they have to go go in and get it taken care of. But then it creates like a heads-up device and that would be a good visual. I would give you contacts and a glove. Contacts and a glove? Well, you need to, like, you can look at things with your eyes, but you also need to be able to control different, like, elements and switch back and forth between different things. Well, Google Glass didn't need that. And we've already, we've already got to that point. But that was with glasses, not with contacts. But, I mean, you know, we were able to, like, you know, look and blink and, you know. Like, That's true. Yeah. You're, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I would say you don't need necessarily a glove. It would just be like contact. So it's like everybody can just walk around with it and everybody yeah. can just have it. And there's a lot of like shorts and videos of like kind of like what that kind of world would look like. Just a full altered reality world. Right. So in this movie, they dealt exclusively in memories. Yes. And what I would do with this is because this is just real life where we're at. Right now, we're at a point where people live stream you know, people do post their memories, but then people also post, uh, wow, I'm getting ready to go live, and you can live part of this experience with me. Of course. And so where the conceit would be in there would be that, you know, not only that are they are they able to hack memory files, but I would say that, you know, you have your Nero character be someone, because he actually has a line in the movie where he says, hey, you see that guy at the end of the bar? 
you can be him for the right 20 minutes. Oh. You know, I would even have the, I would, I would, I would take that line and extrapolate it to be, he can let you almost like do a being John Malkovich thing. Not that you control the body, but where you just like, you're in the head, you piggyback and you, you see what they see and you experience what they experience. Right. And that can even lead to some of the bits about how the, like maybe the wrong person sees the murder or, mm-hmm. you know, or the memory file. But, but I think that's a, a good take because there can be someone you can literally say there's someone in your eyes. Yeah. There's someone in your eyes and you might not even know. Yeah. And that's the scary thing of no matter what you're looking at, someone else might be looking at that exact same thing too, which I can't <laughs> believe I'm going to do this reference. It's something they do a little bit in Akira Battle Angel. Like they do the thing where the eyes turn blue and all of a sudden, uh, yeah, Edward Norton is looking down through this person's eyes like he took over the body, but he's taking over the body. It, it, by the way, quick aside. Lita Battle Angel is amazing because it's it's the it's the story about how uh, Christoph Waltz trings a, a young robot girl to rollerblade so she can eventually fight Edward Norton. That's just a great premise. That's a great premise. <laughs> I would have loved it if it was executed a little bit better. But the important thing is they tried real hard. If I rollerblade good enough, I can go uh, to the clouds and it's fight Edward so Norton. It's so 90s. <laughs> they even have 90s boyfriend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah, 90s boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right, so I think we're kind of on board with the the state of VR and how we would change it. But the commentary is, I think that we is what we need to agree on. Like, why do we have that there? Because I think that what what Strange Days was ultimately trying to say was well, I like the idea of escapism. Like, everyone's looking for novelty and wants to have a life that is not their own or experience something that is not their own. Like, I think that there's nothing wrong with that. And the fact that it would immediately be used for sex is just the internet. Like, that's just how humanity works. That's true. Yeah, he even has a line in the movie. He says, uh, I could have you uh, skiing in Aspen in 10 minutes, but you look the kind of guy that if you want to ski, you just get in the plane and go ski. Right. Yeah. Uh, I would say that, I think this is where you get, like, into the circular bit of it, where I think this is, like, a good, those who don't remember history, didn't repeat it kind of thing. Yeah. Not the technology is technically circular most of the time, but in this case, I think it calls back to to a good thing, which is... There was a time where people were terrified of their security, right? People didn't want to say the wrong thing on the phone. People didn't want to, you know, people were afraid of, you know, of the government finding out and and all of that. So what would happen would be is we eventually got to a point where now people will just have an Alexa in their home or an Echo and just talk into it. You know, Mm -hmm. people put all of their their data online and people aren't as worried about their security anymore. But I think if you made it a lot more personal, i.e. the idea of someone being able to see everything that you see and being able to experience your most intimate moments, that is the kind of security where people would have to be afraid of it again. Right? You know, at a certain point, it's like, ah, I know your birthday and where you went to school as a little kid. And like, well, that's bad, but that's not the worst. Right. As opposed to now, which is... I know which arm you wash first when you're in the shower. Exactly. That might give people pause. And then the idea of breaking that security is a good a good story hook. Yeah. You know, the idea of, you know, people being disgusted by it, but also being willing to pay for it. Well, that's cool. But honestly, that's kind of just like a lot of setup for the movie. The actual plot of the movie is just figuring out who this serial killer is who's taking advantage of this stuff and who's also like 
and also just like the tension and race relations between these two groups. Right, which is like uh, like I love the technology aspect and I, and I agree with you and I think that's important, but I feel like at the end of the day it's we have all of this technology but people are still racist as shit. Sure. I I I agree with that. And I think that if you're going if you're going to do the the updated version of this, race relations are important, but I would almost make it uh, I would also make it more like in the political and race relations. Well, yes, absolutely. I feel like at this point they're kind of part and parcel. Like there's half of the country that acknowledges that that we need to work on race relations, and then there's another half of the country that says shut up. Yeah, and I think that going after. I mean, we, we've had activists today. I mean, in Los Angeles, where we live, you know, we've had people that have been killed. And it's been sad for five minutes and then people move on. I think yeah. that you would need to, you would need to, the figure that you would have to create for this would have to be much larger than life than Jericho 1 was in the movie. Right. You would have to kind of create an almost shadow rebellion. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of an equivalent movie where there's like a, like a separate group saying, like, let's say anonymous, let's yeah. say instead of it being anonymous, it was this other group and it was a group that just worked for positive social change. Mm-hmm. Their methods aren't always good because it's often violent or whatever, but at the end of the day, they're fighting for equal rights for everybody and, uh, so that people maybe don't get murdered in the street, whatever. Yeah, I think that if you were to have a, um, why am I blanking on his name? Martin Luther King? No, I was going to say... <laughs> Malcolm X? No, WikiLeaks guy. Oh, Julian Assange. Yeah, yeah. But if you were to have a... But like a good one. Yeah, if you were to have one that was that was more about, instead of, you know, international things, but was all about exposing racism and exposing prejudice and exposing bigotry and... Which is, I think, how it started, and then he got corrupted by his own uh, wealth and power. That is... Honestly, that is there is so much going on there that it is impossible for me to comment on it. It's I think that there's one of those things where with that particular person, there is so much interest from so many sides and so many people that, you know, either want him propped up or people that want him taken down that it is really difficult. Like, that's one of those where I have to, like, be neutral on because I don't know... I don't think anyone knows all the... Well, one of my clients used to be friends with him, was friends with him kind of before the whole WikiLeaks thing even went down. Mm -hmm. And just like, and she said, like, kind of the more he did, like, the more he just wasn't that guy anymore. Which I can absolutely believe. I think that, you know, like, every every story out there is always told that, you know, power corrupts, you know, and I think that, you know, at a certain point... But I think that that means that we have our opposing forces. But even still, even that isn't really the plot of the movie because yeah. the whole cops versus entire African-American community isn't really even the plot of this movie. That's just the looming threat yeah. of these two groups are at odds against each other. And it has just built to a point where people are worried that the small spark will send us into an outside war, just like not outside war, just a full on war. And there will be thousands upon tens of thousands of people dead. And that's just something you're going into the movie with, like, oh, okay, we have to be very, like, everyone has to be careful because both groups feel this way and both groups are going to keep doing what they're doing because they both believe they're right. But they also know that it's a very careful balance and neither of them wants to, they know that if one group gets completely wiped out, it's because the other group also got completely wiped out. It's, It's a, 
Mutual assured destruction. Mutually assured destruction. Thank you. Yeah. And I feel like that's what they're dealing with. And then this thing happens. Yeah. And it was just... And if you want to have it be like, oh, these two cops in the street, fine. But I don't think so. I think it was... They were like trying to take this guy out. But it's this idea that went all the way back up to the top because they're trying... They are trying to... Like the evil fascist fascist organization or whatever is trying to take down this like kind of resistance leader like kind of from the inside out there is a there's a line in the movie and i'm not sure how much i'm supposed to spoil in a 25 year old movie it's all spoilable (laughs) say say anything you want we're going to talk about the end of the movie yeah when tom sizemore's character has the line where he he mentions death squads i've been hearing about death squads that are going off and he's lying but it's a lie that both uh, Nero and Mace immediately believe because yeah. it's so believable. Right. I think that you're right, which is... I think the thing that I don't change and the thing that I do change are I don't change the scope of the protagonist and the heroes of the movie for what they are. And they're not really heroic, which is more interesting than not. Yeah, they're anti-heroes. Yeah. Uh, but the scope of the villainy, I think you have to change a little bit because... You're right. It, it's this is a completely inappropriate movie to reference, but it was one that I was thinking about today uh, because I just saw Birds of Prey, and so I was thinking okay. about the other DC movies. Sure. And uh, there's a. Uh, it's like a Suicide Squad. <laughs> I was going to say there's a line at the end of um, of Wonder Woman that I thought was actually one of the that was one of the most redeeming parts of that movie was where after Wonder Woman defeats Ares and. World War II is still going on, and there are still Nazis. And she has that almost breakdown where she's like, I don't understand. They should have stopped fighting. They should have... Yeah. And Chris Pine's character, Steve Trevor, has to have that line where he says, um, I would love to tell you that it's just one bad guy, but it's not. Right? You know, right. It's just, this is what humanity is, right? There are bad people out there, and they're not limited by cut off the one person, and then that's... That's the end of it, that there right. are still a lot of bad people. I think that you have to have, you can't even go, I think, even to the root of the issue. You have to just be like, this is just one really bad part. And, you know, it, you have to do that that sort of bit. Where I think you have to, the, the person who has to be at the core of it has to be somebody who has the public image of being good. Yeah. And, but they're just one really bad part of one really bad system to where even if you expose them, it's bad. But there has to be that. I, th- I think that this is a strange thing to say, but well, str- strange days. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> that's the title of the movie. Ah. Uh, <laughs> strange days ends too hopeful. I tend to agree with you. Yeah, like the idea is. I think a big a big theme from the beginning of the movie. One of the big setups is that the rapture happens at the end of at. at Midnight at 2000. And even the DJ like makes fun of it. He's like, well, is that Eastern time or Pacific time? Right. When can we expect the rapture? But Well, I'll pray for you. Yeah. But they reference it a few times in the movie, which is, you know, like, you know, hey, relax. The world's going to end in 10 minutes anyways. Right. right? They reference that the end of the world. And they don't talk about Y2K at all. <laughs> this movie is just old enough that they didn't even know about Y two K yet. Yeah, when, when they said they were the uh, uh, when they said that they were uh, the two Kers, 
yeah, yeah it, was, it was it was kind of like it, it had nothing to do with computers it had nope. everything to do with just like you know oh, 2000 yeah in the year 2000 that's when it's a fresh start that's yeah. when we're, we're taking back our humanity uh, and, and no. by the, as an aside to that um, we were so young yeah gas is three dollars a gallon can you believe how oh, bad that is gosh <laughs> but no what I what I was saying to that is yeah I would have the ending be similar to the ending that we've got now and it's finally the thing everything's gonna be okay you believe and all of a sudden they're getting to this car they made out they're about to get in the car they get black bagged credits so actually one thing that I would immediately change from the ending because it was so good up until the very last second and I I hated that it was tacked on yeah I don't they don't need them to make out it is yeah with with uh, with mace and uh, Nero. There was no romantic tension the entire movie. It was no. very much friends. It was it, colleagues. It was mutual respect. It wasn't. It wasn't. Like, I I guessed way early that that was going to be a thing. Because it's a trope. But, right. But they did a good job, for the most part, of not making it overt until just all of a sudden. When they kissed, it took, even now, knowing that they were going to kiss at the end of the movie, when I, when I rewatched it, it was still jarring. It took me out of the movie. I was like... Oh, yeah, they shouldn't be kissing. There's no reason for them to be romantically interested in each other they, right now. They did build up to it. I will give the movie credit that they did keep dropping hints and building up to it. And the actress who played Mace, uh, uh, Angela Bassett, of course, Angela Bassett. Yeah. I thought she played it really, really well. Like, she, like at the beginning, like, she, like, when every time Nero went after Faith, she, you could see that she was being a little bit hurt. Like, I, I got it. Mm-hmm. I still, we still don't need it. Yeah. And I, I think that it, uh, I do think it diminishes their characters a little bit. And I, I'm also fully on board with the idea that not every movie needs to have like a, like a, like a one true romance or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and I think that a big. Shippers be damned. Yeah. If we're going to, if we're going to talk about really on the nose things of the movie, you know, having Nero's, uh, ex be named Faith and having his whole trek being about reclaiming his faith. Yeah. After he's been disillusioned by the department and everything else. A little on the nose. It is, but I also really like the <laughs> idea that, that she's this completely corrupted individual whose name is Faith. Yeah. I do, I do enjoy that. Like, I wouldn't necessarily change her name, but, like, drop some of the puns. I, I, would, I wouldn't change her name, but what I would say to that is that at the end of the movie, you know, you can have it just end with... Oh yeah, there's no satisfaction for his love life. There's no satisfaction for any of that. It's just oh, I tr- like it. It's kind of the old like if we're going to Greek myth, like I yeah, I, I traveled to the underworld to try to save you and I didn't succeed. Yep, that can happen. Like you know that's Orpheus, baby. Yeah, like I mean you can you can have you know you can have a failure in a character and it makes them it makes the story stronger. It makes you know I mean yeah. The, uh, Forget it, it's Chinatown. Right, right, right. <laughs> so there was this mo- moment at the end where Faith is being arrested. I'm like, why is she being arrested? I'm like, oh yeah, she knew Max killed all those guys. <laughs> she should be arrested. Yeah. Also, we haven't talked about it at all, but we we definitely have to talk about how fucked up the, the murder is. Like, that was like, when I was watching this movie for the first time last night, and I got to Which the... Which one? When Iris is murdered. Oh, that was really fucked up. And I'm like... I it that it's so fucked up that I had to like take a break from the movie. And it's like and then they just kind of like deal with it later and then that's just how Max has sex with Faith later. And then like they do the exact same thing and Faith looks up and goes, "I love you, Max." That is so fucked up. 
It's, oh my god. Yeah. Like, I, like, on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, that's fucked up. Leave it in. It's fucked up. And it's like, oh my god, these are really corrupt characters. But on the other hand, I'm like, that's so fucked up. Like, I'm not in the movie anymore. I'm just reacting to how fucked up that is. Well, it was, it was great because immediately after that, too, then she tries to save him. For no reason. If she's the, if she knows all the stuff about Max, I thought that was a problem. I thought she should have been fully on Max's side and then something else happens in order to, uh, like, it, like, I feel like Gant or something should have been like, if, if I go down, I'm taking you with me kind of thing. No, I'm, I'm a, I'm a D&D player, man. I, I like the chaotic characters. Like, that's what that was. That was a character that was like, you can't put me into a box. Like, I will make decisions that are not helpful to the story, but are helpful to me. Like, that is somebody who was very, that was, that was a complex person. We saw that at one time she did feel something for him, but she treaded that line between love and hate. She was deeply in love with him. She deeply despised him. She tried to help him for just, again, like, she was such a complicated character that that actually to me made a lot of sense. Yeah, all I will right, try to, all hurt, right, all right, fine. I will try to hurt you and then I will try to save you. And you know what? Fuck you if you think you're going to try to figure out why. Like, that's, all yeah. right, fine. Fair enough. <laughs> then I will at least say this. Nero is stabbed in the back. And then people, like, hug him and pat him on the back. And he does a bunch of shit. But he has lost a lot of blood. He should be done. He should. And it's a funny thing. And they thing. keep patting his forehead like he hasn't been stabbed in the back. Yeah, and part of that as well was... And Me- I- I'm sorry, wait. Metaphor. Go on. I-, I have to say this, by the way. Ralph Fiennes looks eerily like Bradley Cooper. Yeah, I, the, yeah, my immediate first choice is like, well, we could just give it to Bradley Cooper. I'm like, no. <laughs> no, because he looks like Bradley Cooper the whole movie. He really does. Like, like It's funny because you think about 1995 and you're like, ah, yes, the young, sexy Ralph Fiennes and Angela Bassett and Tom Sizemore and Juliette Lewis. Yeah. Like, all these people. A side note, uh, the character that played Philo... Actually, two people. Two people that from when I was a kid, and I watched it, and I grew up for some reason thinking they were different actors. I thought Philo was uh, was Heath Ledger for some reason. Oh, weird. I grew up just thinking, I was like, yeah, Heath Ledger was in that movie, and he wasn't. And uh, Jericho won, I thought, was Charlie Murphy for some reason. Weird. I, I, yeah, and I watched it, and I was like, oh, that's not who they are at all. But Philo's character does look like Heath Ledger a little bit in this movie. I... His face is too long. Heath Ledger, I've always thought of kind of having like a square, kind of like rounded square face. And this guy had like a full longish, uh, like oval face. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, we like, we have to, we, we need to actually talk about like a couple other plot points. Sure. Like Philo. Yeah. He's just like a crime boss. He's a crime boss who I think respects the balance between these two things. And he realizes that he has something that could disrupt the balance and ruin his entire business. That honestly made sense to me. Like, he honestly got bit in the back, bit in the butt by his own crazy paranoia, and now he's just desperately trying to bury his own crazy, like, the thing that he found. He's like, no, 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 I found the wrong thing. I uncovered the wrong secret. Like, I was on board with that, because I feel like I totally agreed with it. it. It's funny. Something you said just now, like, just sparked something in me that I was like, I think I might have figured out what part of the scarcity was in this movie. And I think what part of the scarcity might have been would have been trust. Because, again, Philo was very paranoid, but 
Well, people didn't trust the police. People didn't trust. It's a movie about paranoia. Like they kept seeing, like saying, like everyone, you need to be more paranoia. Yeah, you need to be more paranoid. Yeah, avoid the noid. Avoid the paranoid. Hey, Uh, but by the way, is the paranoid like a ghost version of the Domino's mascot? Yes. Okay, good. He he ruins ghost pizza. Ah, those toppings. The memory of pizza. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh, it's. I gotta give you a second. Um, go for it. The 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 paranoid will ruin all pizzas with pepperoni and mush booze. <laughs> it was worth it. The, the uh, time we took. I'm gonna leave all that space in. There. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you have that one. Okay. By, uh, by the way, since you're gonna do that, I'm gonna mention a random thing from like last night. Okay. I was. I will say this by the way. A lot of the actors in this movie. Even, like, the lesser-known ones, I was really impressed by. Everyone in this movie did a fantastic job. Yeah. Uh, one one actor that I, I will stand by till I die, that I think is one of the best, that never got his due, was uh, Nicky Cat. He, he's he's one of those character actors that I'm just... I, I am a gigantic fan of, and he's been in so many good movies. Uh, he was in... Um, he he's in this. He plays Joey Corto. Who was Nicky Cat in this movie? He was the uh, the green shirted goon that was like making the jokes, the really bad jokes. Okay, remember he was the one that, where he says uh, we tried to get a, a smaller woman to uh, beat you up, but it was really short notice. And yeah, he goes, get it short. It's a really bad joke, but the way he delivers those lines, like he actually he comes across menacing and Insane. cheesy and cheesy. Yeah, yeah. He he's he's a meth head who thinks he's funnier than he actually is. But he is someone who, uh, he has done so many great movies where he is a, a side character, like a minor character. I think the, the, the movie where he is most prominent was actually Boiler Room, which weirdly enough had like Giovanni Ribisi and, uh, Vin Diesel. Yeah, the it, three things he's known for when you pull him up on IMDb Pro are Boiler Room, Dazed and Confused, and Sin City. Really? I would give him over that. I would give him. It's not a perfect system. He was also in that movie with Robert De Niro about uh, Alaska, uh, Insomnia. Yeah, I, was, I can see Insomnia, Speakeasy, Waking Life, The Way of the Gun, Rules of Engagement, Boiler Room, The Limey, Mutiny, Say You'll Be Mine, Delivered. He's in a lot of things. Way of the Gun was great too. Uh, yeah, he, he's he's one of those character actors that I, I the more I the more I'm like, yeah, he's a great actor. Yeah, weird one. We're getting off topic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but like in in terms of the. The criminal organization of, of Philo, I, I agree with the way that kind of structured and worked because it made sense. He's carved out a little niche for himself and all-out war will ruin that for him, so he's willing to protect it, but he kind of got in his own way. Yeah, he, um, he's the nightclub owner from, like, every noir, yeah, you know, like, detective story. He, he's, like, he's not, he, you think he's the main bad guy and he's not. Like, he's actually set up in this movie as... The antagonist, you think that until he just randomly dies. When he's like dead, you're like, oh, wait. Well, that at the end of the day is kind of my. It's that at the end of the day, there really is no big main antagonist. Because Nero, uh, not Nero, uh, Philo kind of gets taken out. Uh, I guess it's Max. Max ends up being the big villain. But like, it's not. But, it's not really Max. It's not really Philo. It's not even really those two cops. And I feel like they kind of you, the the big villain needs to be someone who's kind of been pulling the strings or seeing what was going on the whole time. And that's what we really reveal at the end with like them getting black bagged and, and taken away. Well, and that was also with um, you know with Max getting his uh, his wig pulled off. 
and he realized that he had a squid on as well, and there was somebody above him. He, uh, no, because like he had a squid on because he's constantly recording his entire life. Yeah, but because the, but he's, the, a, he's a wirehead. But the but I thought the implication too was that somebody else was like watching his stuff for. I mean, because he might he just he just had the whole you know getting uh, Nero to confess to to things as well a moment prior. I. I can see where you're coming from with that. That is not the impression that I got. I didn't think anyone else was watching. I just felt like, because they kept referring to this thing where he, this dude is just constantly like recording all these things and it's super weird and it's just like gets off on his own, uh, his, his own videos. Yeah, I think that if you want to do, kind of going back to the idea of, of Wonder Woman's, you know, ending, you know, which is, uh, it's not just one bad guy kind of thing. I think that if you want to have, if you do a remake for this, what you do there is you have them have a very hollow victory. Yeah. Like, yeah, you exposed one guy and you expect things to change and you actually let, you actually give a little bit of like room to breathe where you end up seeing that ultimately their struggles and trying to defeat this one person who seems so important or this one, solve this one event or solve this one murder that seems so important really has no impact either way if they had succeeded or failed. Right. And I think that doing that would give the movie a much more of a, a of a downer effect than everything else, but it would be it would uh it would it would make for a better ending. It would make for a black mirror ending. Yeah, which I think is what it needs. But okay, all right. So I think we've kind of talked around it long enough. Let let's uh let's get into casting. Sure. I feel like we obviously need to start with Nero, Lenny Nero. I will preface this by saying the way the movie is initially set up is the way Strange Days is right now is that there are the white people and then there are the black people. Mm-hmm. Those are the only races there are. And so what I try to do with some of the characters that are a little bit more in the gray, I made other kinds of people. Uh, so I did that a little bit here and there, but I was like, let's make it not just because that happens so much with these kinds of things. It's like it's the black community and the white community. And oh, well, look at this. There's the. The Yakuza's here as well a little bit. Yay. But, like, I just... I wanted to make it a little bit more of a melting pot. So I I, I, I tried to spread it around a little bit. Yeah, and I would say to that, too, that a, a big part of that is why are the characters... Is, is there a reason for the characters being a race that they are in the movie? Like, for example, Jericho 1 had to be black. Yeah, because... there's two characters I think needed to be black. Mace, Jericho 1, as far as I'm concerned... They're, they're, those are the two that need to be. Everything else was kind of up in the air. Yeah. Um, and I made the two cops white because I do think they should be white. Well, they were also German. Like, they're, they're, they were both German characters. I think that, you know, that was supposed to be intentional, like the stormtrooper. Oh, I, I missed that. <laughs> they were the... It, that, that's less important to me. But I think, I think that's what they were going for in the original movie was... I guess. They also have this moment where, like, uh, Vincent, like, uh, who's his face shoots... Uh, Fickner, William Fickner shoots himself in the mouth, and then the uh, Vincent D'Onofrio character is, like, devastated by it. On the one hand, I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's sad about his friend. But on the other hand, I'm like, but part of me was like, oh, they were gay. <laughs> yeah, I think they were. And I really want that to be true. Not because I think it has any merit for the movie, but because I think it makes the, these two characters a little bit deeper. Especially because it's like... It doesn't necessarily say anything. It's just like these two people found each other. They're both monsters and they were both into the exact same thing, but somehow they found each other. And it's just like, it adds a little bit of tragedy in their death, I guess. But like, 
I don't know. I just found it interesting. Yeah, I think that it's always always a hard lesson for people to remember. They have to learn it over and over again, which is bad people can have positive aspects to their lives. Like you know, they can. Not that there's inherently a positive aspect to just being gay. But no, not not the gay part. I was saying like the positive part is you know having genuine affection for somebody else right. you know for having to be for having to be able to fall in love like not all villains are like well every single human being is going to be three-dimensional but but in a lot of movies a lot of the trope is you know the bad guy doesn't necessarily care about you know anyone else but himself right. but the hero is willing to feel pain and emotion for the death of a loved one and in this it was very much it was you're right it wasn't overstated but the emotion from Vincent D'Onofrio's character seeing his his buddy or lovers whatever it is partner uh, we can just leave it at partner leave, and uh, just seeing 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 his partner uh kill himself he had he had a genuine reaction which was you know disbelief and rage and pain and and which he would have if he was a three-dimensional person and yeah, that was somebody he cared about just killed himself the, it, it, but in a lesser movie it would have been a you know like a oh i can't you know you know well you know, you won't take me too. Instead of it was like, because you you pushed him to this, now I'm going to get my revenge on you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I had another thing, but I don't remember. So anyway, let's talk about casting. Sure. So, uh, would you like to go first for Nero? For a modern day Nero. So I think that if you're going to have Nero in this movie, you almost need someone who is just slimy enough that they kind of fell to that point. Maybe. Um, I was thinking, because you can make anyone slimy. I feel like you need, I need, think Nero's defining characteristic is his charisma and his charm. Right. And unfortunately, he's fallen into a situation where, like, in the same thing that got him kicked out of the police forces, he fell into a situation where charisma and charm isn't enough. Yeah, I think that, I think that, uh, you need to have somebody who is, that would be believable as a cop, but then also believable as somebody who is no longer a cop. Yeah, so who did you have? I mean, I have almost have like a, it's almost a joke casting, but I would almost go like a Chris Pratt if you want to give him a more serious role. Like that guy. I don't want to cast actual assholes though. <laughs> Fair enough. But he is somebody who is like, he tries to be over charming and doesn't, it doesn't always land. And you could see how he would try to talk his way out of every situation. Sure. Um, so the person that I went with is an actor named, uh, Stephen Yun. Who is in Okja? He's gonna. Is, he's in the upcoming Invincible. He's oh, yeah. in Sorry to Bother You. I think you should leave. Yeah. He is an actor who's done kind of the drama. He's clearly a very attractive guy. He's the right age, and he's uh, he's South Korean, so it kind of puts him like a little bit in the middle of these two groups. Like he doesn't necessarily have loyalty to one side or the other. He's just kind of doing his own thing, man. And so that, that that's why I thought uh, Stephen Young. That's a really solid choice. So for me, that uh, brings me to Mace. I'll go first for this one. Sure. Um, for Mace, you need someone who is kind of the action, who has the emotions, and is able to, like... I feel like Mace's characterization is in her subtlety. And, like, you, the first time you look at her, like, you just read the one thing, but the more you pay attention to, the more you're, like, you realize all the layers she's playing. And Mace also is one of the characters who needs to be black. So I went with kind of an A-lister right now. I think this is my one real A-lister from this list. I went with Lupita Nyong'o. Okay. Because she's an amazing actress, but she can also do the action stuff and is is just an incredibly compelling person that, like, 
it's same with Mace in this movie is you're also perfectly willing to see a movie about her life. Like there's that movie where that movie there's that moment where mace is driving away and uh, nero goes what are you doing what are you doing and she's like this is just my every this is just uh my life let me do my job mm-hmm. and i'm like oh okay she's super interesting and so that's why i thought lupita nuango would be a, a good choice i had i have one and i won't forgive you if you have to like look her up uh but jessica nicole would be my choice i don't know who that is tell me about her uh jessica nicole i mean she's what i would pick her for would be less for her action stuff and more for her range and delivery. Uh, she was on that show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Fringe? <laughs> yes, Fringe. Uh, she was in Fringe. She also did um, Alice Isn't Dead, the horror podcast that was done by the Night Vale people. She's done a bunch of smaller roles as well. But she is somebody that every time I see her in, every emotion that she has every every bit of her range is a thousand percent believable and even in fringe she had uh two different roles because there was the alternate version earth of her which was militarized and the normal version earth of her which was you know just a very sweet research assistant uh we can go with her that's fine yeah I, i i'm a big jessica nicole fan cool all right then that brings us to faith hmm Faith is an interesting one, so uh, go ahead. (laughs) So yeah, so with Faith, I think you need to have somebody that can pull off the believable sweet, but then also, you know, believable asshole. And my my pick for that would be Britt Lower. Britt Lower? Yeah. Another person I'm a big fan of. Uh, She is, she's done, again, I think, you know, smaller things necessarily. She was in uh, Man Seeking Woman as the sister she was in Future Man for a couple seasons. Yeah, she she's someone who's who's who I don't think has ever really got like a big breakout starring role, but uh, somebody who in uh, if you've if you seen Future Man, I watched the pilot and then never went back to it. Oh, you should. It's great. Or did you see Man Seeking Woman? I watched the pilot and then didn't go back to it. That's uh, another big shame. Man Seeking Woman is is magical realism done right in the yeah. modern setting. I don't I don't find Eric Andre that funny, and his presence in that show kind of turned me off of it. Uh, it's 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 it. I will say this is I'm not getting off track, but Man Seeking Woman has uh, I think one of the all time perfect series finales endings. Like it, I it, I've heard that it is a good show and it 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 goes very well. I just there's so much I just haven't had the time. Yeah, so what Britt Lower's character characters bring in, in kind of both those examples is in Future Man, she is set up as being a great love interest for the protagonist, and then you kind of realize, oh, actually, she's pretty shitty. And then in Man Seeking Woman as well, she's someone who is supposed to be like a moral voice of reason, then occasionally just goes off and does some really shitty things, and then is indignant about them and is right. is someone who is able to yeah I, I look up her i look up her her acting as well she's she's really okay. good so the person that i have is someone who has been in some good thing like has been in some good things recently but has also been in some real stinkers the, when i went for faith i was i was like i need someone who is a believable asshole like you look at her and you go yeah you you might be a jerk but i also would believe that you're also very sweet i get it Mm-hmm. But someone who could just conceivably play someone who uh, kind of toes that line. I also needed someone uh, who could sing and had a little bit of that punk aspect to it. So I went with Cara Delevingne. Okay. Just because, like I said, she's been in some real stinker movies. Like uh, Suicide Squad and Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. They're not good. But 
up until recently, I'd kind of like dismissed her as an actress, but I, I saw some interviews with her and she's charming. Mm-hmm. But everyone is saying that she's fantastic in the new show Carnival Row, and that that's like the sort of character. Who does she play in Carnival Row? She's uh, the fairy. Oh, the main one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's fantastic in that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. I, I want to be certain, but before yes. I kind of said anything, but yeah, that's yeah. She's amazing in that. She's a great actress in that. Right. So because of that, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, she can do other things. Mm-hmm. And I just like this idea of her being someone who could kind of play either side of that line. Yeah, I would, I would, I would think that you have a, you have a really solid choice there. I, I mean, I, I like Britt Lower as well, but I think yours is probably better. Okay, cool. <laughs> so let's talk about Max. My Max is a left field choice a little bit. All right. Because what I leaned into was someone who's a little bit more on the comedic side who you absolutely cannot expect mm-hmm. uh the turn where with max in this movie i'll be honest i suspected it a little bit uh there are a couple of moments where he just like isn't that affected by this ridiculous uh horrific awful murder mm-hmm. and, like he's like yeah that was really bad so what are we gonna do about it whereas like <laughs> uh nero like vomits and like like b- both him and uh tick are like what's well, ralph fines come on right but like <laughs> So Max, I, I leaned into a little bit more of the comedic because, like, you think he's just, like, kind of the bumbling guy. I was like, yeah, I got hired to guard this woman, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not big, but, like, I can hold a gun. And so that's why I went with someone who has kind of that comedy background and uh, has been in, like, Veep and Arrested Development. But I've also seen him do drama stuff, and he's really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. Tony Hale. That... So I mean, yes, Tony Hill can do can do both drama and serious, and and yes, I think that's 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 a really interesting pick. I think I might give you a run for your money in this one, though. All right, uh, I went left field. You went right field. No, I think I also. Well, yeah, I think I might have went right field. The and I, I will tell you the the show that that put it over the edge for me. It was a show on Hulu called Chance. It had uh, Hugh Laurie as the the protagonist, uh, and the the main supporting role went to this character, Ethan Suppley. I have no idea who that is. I've never heard that name. You know who that is. I think he's someone you're going to see his face and you're going to go, oh, I know exactly who that is. Comedic, sort of. Comedic wise, he goes all the way back to like uh, Mallrats. He was in My Name Is Earl, and he always did these like comedy roles where he was the big lumbering guy who played kind of the sweet but dumb character. Nowadays, he's actually absurdly jacked. Like he's he was always this giant of a man before that, but now he actually got in really good shape. But in uh, in Chance, oh yeah, okay, I can see. Like I, I'm looking at a picture of him now from My Name Is Earl, and that is a very different picture of him than the one that is currently on IMDb, which is him jacked. Yeah, uh, in the show Chance, though, he played a legitimately terrifying character that kept me guessing. Chance was. I think one of the best examples in in modern history of like a good show about tension. Okay. Uh, and his his ability to keep me guessing in that show and his ability to to constantly frighten me with what he was capable of in that show, I think makes him a great choice for this because he's somebody who it comes naturally to him to be the, you know, the the good, fun, jovial giant friend who could on a turn of a dime become terrifying great works for me yeah. Ethan Suppley Ethan Suppley what's the scorecard so far eh, two and two but <laughs> I don't, it doesn't really matter but who's counting <laughs> I mean we've only done four things yeah that brings me to Philo Grant or Philo Gant ooh 
I have an amazing choice for this. Go ahead. Uh, Jeffrey Donovan. Tell me about Jeffrey Donovan. Oh, I love Jeffrey Donovan. He's another one of those uh, character actors who is, he's been in a million things, and he plays a different person every time. The most recent movie he did was with Bill Skarsgård called Villains, and that was a fantastic movie that went under everyone's radar. The thing he's most known for is that USA show Burn Notice. Yeah. Uh, Well, he he did 111 episodes. Yeah, he was fantastic in that. I love Burn Notice. Uh, But he was also, he played, he was in... um, the he played Bobby Kennedy in that one movie. JF, he's in JFK as Bobby Kennedy, I think. Okay, he's got fantastic range. He was in that movie with Angelina Jolie called Changeling, where he played the uh, the cop who didn't want to admit they got uh, the wrong kid back. Jesus, he, yeah, he's 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 got fantastic range. He's another one of my all time favorite character actors. But he is somebody who I, there's another movie. Uh, since you have your IMDb up, you can probably pull it up. He was in a movie that had. It was uh, the guy that was Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones. and Lucy in the Sky, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, Sicario, Shot Caller, LBJ, Other Sicario, Extinction, J. Edgar, Hindsight, Believe in Me, Come it's Early Morning, Hitch. Sicario was the movie with, blink on his name too, the guy that was, the guy was Punisher. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he played a... Uh, he played, weirdly enough, like a neo-Nazi in prison in that movie. And he was terrifying in that, too. But he, his his energy in that was very much the, the low-key, kind of scumbaggy, believable as a, like, you know, he looks like he shouldn't be that tough, but then don't cross him at all. Like, he has that sort of... Yeah, he's, he's somebody who, he can play anything, but in, especially in the most recent movie, Villains, that he was in, he really showed that he can play the guy that is supposed to look like he's charming and nice and can get downright evil. Uh, villains uh, had him as a... Uh, I really don't want to spoil Villains, but I will say this. It had him as a uh, very idyllic, 1950s, almost-looking, you know, uh, man of the house. Uh-huh. Why, sure, son, come on in. Have a lemonade. You know, a Bing Crosby-looking yeah, guy yeah, yeah. who is downright sadistic later on and and... And evil. Well, yeah. here's the thing, because I think we should expect kind of that sadistic evil, but I feel like at the end of the day, he's really kind of just like a low-key mob boss. Like, he's a bad guy, but I wouldn't put him at, like, serial killer level. No, but he does strike faith. Like, he, he gets yeah, yeah. physical. He's a bad guy. Yeah. He, is, he is bad. But, so what I went for a little bit more is a little bit more Agent of Chaos. Like, I want someone who can play the comedy, like, who can be legitimately funny, and then five seconds later you're feeling bad that you laughed at his joke. Because he's a, he is a legit bad guy, but, like, plays around with the idea of, like, perceptions of morality and, like, oh, well, right now it's fine, we're having fun. Hey, are we having fun? Kill him. And so that's why I went with Vilmer Valderrama. Who, uh, you know from that 70s show. Yeah. But he also was in like 80 episodes of like NCIS. Yep. So he also is jacked. and But like also has this aspect of a little bit... You don't know what he's going to do. Like he's he's a little bit more like, oh, wait. It's that... Wait. And like it, there's that just little bit of disconnect of because with Jeffrey Donovan you're like oh you the way you'll have Jeffrey Donovan set up is you'll look at him and go yeah yeah that's a bad guy 
Well, he's but also he's also played like the stalwart heroes. He's played both, right? Like he's got the chiseled jawline and that whole thing. And to be fair, uh, Wilmer Valderrama is also very attractive. But like, he's also a little bit shorter, and and I just think it's look up a still from him in Villains real quick. Like, look up his character in Villains. And yeah, I'm I'm looking at it. Yeah, it's it's one where you could see he has that look of he can go either way. Sure. All right, fine. If you'd like, we can come back to this. Yeah, that's that's the toss up. I think. Let's talk about the two cops. Sure. Do you have people for both cops? I think you can kind of plug a lot of people in there. I think I think what you I, do there is... I cast two white boys who've been in, like, action-y stuff, who you could see being friends. So I, like, I went with two people who you could see being friends, and then, like, maybe, maybe, I don't know, who knows? I made one a little bit younger, one a little bit older, but I actually think they're roughly the same age, just one plays a little bit younger, one plays a little bit older. And so I went with uh, Dane DeHaan and Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Dane DeHaan is the the kid from Chronicle. Okay. And Aaron Taylor Johnson is Kickass, and he was in the new Godzilla movies. And he's he comes he actually comes up a lot on the show, but like he's good, and like you can see him like you can see him being like the nice clean cut cop type. Mm-hmm. But then like you could just see him like getting really angry. He's like, no, I'm in charge. Like one of those, and because with the movie as we had it now. It was kind of, Vincent D'Onofrio was kind of the lead of the two, but with this one, I'd kind of like to see it go back and forth of like one being the slightly younger one who's a little bit more impulsive and the other one who's a little bit more menacing, like the bigger guy one. And I think it's important that they both be white, but, and these two are very white. Okay. So I think I actually have my two for the cops. Okay. Who are they? I would go Jesse Plemons and Jimmy Simpson. Jesse Plemons and Jimmy Simpson. Jesse Plemons is the dude from uh, Breaking Bad. Right? Uh, no, he's the not Matt Damon guy. He, he, oh! You know what I'm talking about? He was in the USS Callister yeah, yeah, episode yeah. of... Yeah, Jesse uh, Plumbs is great. Yeah, him, and he's very white, and he's got the blonde hair. And and uh, Jimmy Simpson, he was in the O.J. Simpson TV thing, but he was also... He's been in a million things, but he was most notable in, like, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia as one of the, uh, oh, yeah, the yeah, inbred yeah. brothers. You just picked him because I said Dane DeHaan. <laughs> Actually... I picked him because I started thinking of Jesse Plemons first, and then I remember that Jimmy Simpson was also in that episode of uh, USS Callister, and I was like, actually, those two work well on screen together. Jimmy Simpson... Did you watch Psych at all? I did. That's where I first saw uh, Jimmy Simpson. Yeah. The guy who investigates serial killers. Yes. Between Jesse Plemons and, and Jimmy Simpson, pick one. Jimmy Simpson. He, play, he, he Okay. He's he's more of a more of a, a white guy cop, I think. Then uh, we'll go with Jimmy Simpson and Aaron Taylor Johnson because Jimmy Simpson's a good replacement for uh, Dane DeHaan. So then, if we're going class and we're actually going to go the way of um, of you can actually have you know a person of color who is comfortable screwing over poor people of colors because they're poor as opposed to yeah. whatever else. My new choice there then would actually be uh, Jeffrey Wright. Who's Jeffrey Wright? Jeffrey Wright was in Westworld. He's been in a whole bunch of things. He was in... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Okay, Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. But he he has a lot of that, like, very... You expect him to be, you know, the smart character, but can be very... Can, on a dime, you know, appear very menacing and very kind of shitty. I, I think that, you know, him in that role of... Like, that would actually... I think that'd be a good role, I think. He's a very good actor. I like him a lot, but I'm trying very hard to pick someone who is neither white nor black. Uh, then I will defer to your Walter Walter Walter. Walter, Walter. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think though that like 
and, and this is you know pulling politics into this you know right. modern politics a thing that that recently happened that was a big you know for the it was a big for five minutes it was a big thing was when like Kamala Harris was running for president right and one of the things that tanked her entire campaign was when it was called out hey but you disproportionately jailed black people and mm-hmm. you bragged about laughed about smoking marijuana while incarcerating people putting of color. a lot of people away for oh she did that on like joe rogan or something like or she did that yeah i remember that yeah so i mean if we're going that's that's where i think they got the jeffrey Wright from because i was like part of that was that she very much tried to play up yeah but i'm black and it was like people were like that almost makes it worse because you know what the struggle was and you still did a lot of these things I would do exactly that. Like, I would make Jeffrey Wright Strickland. Okay. Which I didn't cast, but I feel like he'd be perfect for Strickland. Sure. Like, you make him the head of the police force. Yeah, if you're going the route of... Like, if that's what you want, that's where you put him. Yeah, if you're, if you're going to go the route of, like, nothing was really solved, that kind of thing, you know, and there's corruption all the way down the line. Yeah, Jeffrey Wright as Strickland would be a good pick. Cool. Then I have three people left. I have Jericho 1, Iris, and Tick. Okay. Do you have anyone beyond those? Jericho won. Um, do, you, do you have anyone beyond those three characters? Nikki Cat should come back and play his character again. <laughs> okay, so then we'll just do those three. No one will notice. It'll be I, fine. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so then let's talk about Jericho won. Jericho won, as I alluded to earlier, I cast an actual up-and-coming rapper from uh, Louisville because I think we should have an actual rapper for the or hip-hop star. And I cast this one specifically, A, because his background is really, is, I thought, good. Because he literally came from a very, very poor family. He's like, look, the, the way we're being treated and the way the society is right now is effed up. And also because his rapper name is so perfectly on the nose for what we're doing here that I, like, I literally stopped looking at the list of people I was, I was dealing with. Okay. His name is 2K, baby. Wow. So I will say this, my character, the person I had in mind was not a rapper and is nowhere near as perfect as that. So I'm almost afraid to even say it. <laughs> I'm, almost, I'm, I'm almost inclined just to, uh, to, to give you that one. All right, then let's move on. Uh, then tell me about your Iris. As a quick aside, I have to say this. It was funny because I tried looking up all the where are they now type people for this, this going forward. Sure. And I looked up Iris and I was like, because she actually, her performance, it was actually, the person who was in it was named Bridget Bako, the actress. And she yeah. really impressed me in this. I thought she was amazing. And I was like, how have I not heard of more things from her? And it turns out she stopped acting like 11, 12 years ago. And she didn't really do a whole lot after this movie anyways. And uh, according Because this to, one must have been so fun. Yeah. And according to, well, I mean, she actually, she did a TV show for uh, many years after that. And then that was the last thing she did. She stopped acting in 2009. But apparently, according to her Twitter, half of her Twitter is uh, about how she wants to hook up with Bruno Mars, and the other half is about how she wants to sell diamonds, and then she just stopped posting. Uh, huh. So that's a that's some deep cut reference thing. That 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 is a that is a folk song in there uh, somewhere. This like, poor woman. <laughs> the, the fall of Bridget Bako is a song. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Iris is. It's one of those roles I almost feel bad casting, knowing what happens to her in the movie. Yeah, that's why I, I that's why I toughened up the character a little bit. Yeah, like it's someone who is 
a, a prostitute on the streets is going to have to be a little bit tougher than like, oh my gosh, that that felt a little bit more like a kept woman as opposed to someone who was living in this world and this society. And was that tough, honestly? She got away from the cops and she yeah. was trying to, she even came, honestly, give her a little credit for her agency. She had, she had the foresight to plant evidence in the one person's car who she knew, you know, she's like, hey, I'm getting, I'm getting chased. I have a backup plan. There's a good chance I'm going to be murdered. Let's try to cover as many bases as possible. Yeah, she she her character deserves a little more credit in that movie. Yeah, for, uh, she she was honestly she was maybe one of the smartest characters in the movie. She died. That's true. She died, but she actually was fairly smart about. It. She knew when to run. She knew, uh, and even like even though she died, she, at some point after going to that hotel, she got a gun. Yeah. She wasn't. She didn't have it on her in that exact moment, but like she went for it. She went for it, and if if it had been, if she'd had an extra second, she'd be fine. Yeah, the movie wouldn't have happened. But she, she even had. Uh, I mean, she. Keep in mind, she got away from the two cops who nearly killed our protagonist, right? In, in dramatic fashion. Like Iris deserves more credit. Yeah. So who did you have? Oh my god. This is this is this is not one that I had thought about coming in. This is not one I expected to have to cast. So I'm going off the top of my head. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. The other is I actually I had thoughts in mind coming into this. I was like, ah, here's who I think would yeah, be yeah. good here. This is one that I'm having to go off the top of my head. And if you don't have someone, it's fine. Like there's that that's why I asked if you had other people, because they're off often be characters that I don't cast that the other person does. I'll often cast characters that the other person doesn't. Don't worry about it if you don't have someone for this. Yeah, I'd let you cast that one. I, I, that's a difficult one for me to cast. So my actress is uh, named Bess uh, Roos or Be- uh, Bess Rue. I'm not sure. She was on Law & Order SVU. She was in uh, the new Ghostbusters movie. But I really know her from the TV show Other Space, okay. which no one watched, but I love and I'll pull from all the time because it's great. And she played kind of the the hard ass sister to like the two leads were like this brother sister and she was the sister and she was the one that was like strict by the book this is what we're gonna get done and I just thought she was good I like her I thought that like she was able to to get shit done and I thought she would be good for this role as well yeah I can see that and it would be like she would put up a fight before getting murdered but like she would be fighting the entire time yeah which I would be more interesting to me than just like uh, it was so bad it's so uncomfortable yeah but yeah so that that's who i thought for iris that was the roughest part of the movie i think easily yeah and then they bring it back later and i'm like oh and that that's pretty bad also like when they like the callback to it oh that's that's also really really bad so my tick which is the uh the kind of guy who's like getting the tapes and like making copies and whatever Mm mm-hmm that I went with an actor who I also saw in other space, but he's also in Mandalorian. He's in uh, the Good Place. He plays Pillboy in Good Place. He's one of the uh, the the krill farmers on Mandalorian. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a fantastic. To get Jason, right? Uh, no, the, the guy that plays Jason. No, oh, no Pillboy. Oh, so you're the other guy. Yeah, Eugene Cordero. Yeah, Eugene Cordero, because like he he also can play this character who's like, just off. He's like um. What you doing there, buddy? Yeah. And uh, I just thought he'd be a fun pick for this. And then you'd be sad when he died. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a really solid pick, too. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Then uh, then let's talk about our writer and our director. Uh, do you have a writer-director, or do you have a separate writer and director? Separate writer and director. I'll let you go first. Okay. Uh, let's talk about writer first. 
for writer, I thought it was important to have a black writer on this. And so I wanted someone who kind of like had experience writing like kind of the crime stuff, but also kind of the action stuff. So I went with someone who wrote Black Panther and also worked on American Crime Story because those kind of fit. So it's a writer named Joe Robert Cole. I, I just thought would be able to kind of like do kind of this mix and match of kind of like would really be able to understand kind of the tension present in all of this. And that makes sense. And that, that that's why I thought he would be a good choice for this. It, it's funny you say that, by the way. My director choice was actually Ryan Coogler from Black Panther as well. Fair. Yeah. I went with a black writer and a female director. Okay. Because with the way that one of the things we didn't talk about is because Catherine Bigelow directed this movie, it's not particularly male gazy, and we are literally gazing through the eyes of males. Like, there's definitely like a bunch of boobs in this movie, but like, it didn't it didn't feel lecherous. Mm-hmm. And I thought she did a good job, and so that that's why I wanted a female director again. Okay. Uh, but anyway, tell me who your writer is. So my writer is actually Ava DuVernay. Oh yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. I've used her a bunch of times. Tell me about Ava uh, DuVernay. For anyone who uh, is unfamiliar with did I get Did I get her name wrong? I think it's pronounced Duvernay. Okay. I, there's a chance I'm wrong as well. I'm bad with that. I mean, I, I always hate getting getting names like that uh, wrong. Oh, I it happens to me all the time. Like, unless I hear it out loud. It, don't worry about it. Tell me about her. Uh, I mean, she also, she recently did um, When They See Us. Yeah. If you saw that. Mm-hmm. And for the subject matter of this movie, I thought that that was actually a solid... Like, if, if you're going for the frame of reference of the very real idea of of race in a movie. I think Ava DuVernay is an excellent choice. Yeah. I don't think she's ever done much action, but well, that's I, why, I, that's, I think... That's, she... that's why I have Ryan Coogler as the director, because yeah. you, have the, you have the action there. Let's go with Ava DuVernay for the writer, but then let me tell you about my director. I wanted someone who kind of, like, because it's... It feels like a militarized zone, so I wanted someone who's kind of done, like, kind of those war movie things. Like, this this is an, uh, a director who did uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, she also did something called Homicide, Life on the Street. Okay. So, like, she did things very much like this. She also directed something called Hurt Locker and something called Strange Days. <laughs> I went with Catherine Bigelow again. Really? I thought, yeah. that, was, I thought that was against the rules. <laughs> not, a, not at all. <laughs> Because she's still a very active director and she's still doing things like this. And I'm more interested in seeing what her take, like, because... What her take now would, and I would be. Yeah, especially because after this, I feel like this kind of made her more radicalized and more aware of these things. And I want her now, like, now that she's seen the world from having done Strange Days, I want her to go back to this and be like, okay, Strange Days again, because, like, I, I now know it better and we can kind of do that same take again, and we can still get that same flavor. And now she's, like, been to war and seen how wars go. Yeah, if, any, if anything, she's far and away a much better director now than she was then. I agree. But I would also say, too, I wonder if, if that would almost be, like, too depressing. If you were like, hey, remember when you directed this movie about, like, the terrible future of the year 2000? Yeah. Well, remember how things got, like, a lot worse? Yeah. Make it again. <laughs> yeah. That's why I think it's even more so. Like, right? Like, all the top acts of, like... Yeah, I really thought that was as bad as it was gonna get, but pff, nope. Yeah, that that just kind of feels like. Yeah, I, I'm I'm picturing Catherine Bigelow just like putting a hand in her forehead and just going, "Jesus Christ!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what I want. I'm okay with yours. Yeah, I think yours is. I, I I'm okay with your with your director. Cool. So then, my last question for you is: In what year would you set this? 
Again, I'd go Black Mirror. So I, I would be like in the year like 2030, maybe like 10 years from now. 10 years from now? I was thinking 2025, but let's go with 2030 to be safe. Yeah. I, I'm just saying like five <laughs> years will go quick. Yeah. Let, let, all right, the, 2030. The re- I'll settle for 2030. The, re- the reason I go 10 years from the future is because it gives us the chance. Like we're, we're coming up on an election very soon. Yes. And we're hopefully, God damn, hopefully, like... Kicking a Nazi out of office. Oh, God, <laughs> I I hope to God we do. And uh, I mean, so the future of the country, in terms of, I think you know, heavily in terms of like things like race relations and things, will depend on what happens this year. Yeah. Um, for anyone who's listening to this podcast in the future, we are recording this in the year 2020. Yeah. So I think that you know, but again, best case scenario, we're talking about eight years, right? Two years after that is well, what happens then, right? Yeah. You know, do, do we do we regress again? Because we've done this, we've gone the rubber band, we've had the, you know, things were really bad and things got really good, then things got really bad again. They didn't you get know. that good. I mean, they got better than they were. Yes, that's all I'm saying. Like they, they're not yeah, really yeah. good. Yeah, I would say that you know, like Obama's era, for as many faults as he had, and he had a lot, was a lot better than the George W. Bush era. Absolutely, that's true. And then all of a sudden we got Trump, and just you know, yeah. like what the fuck are we doing? <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> so I think 2030 is good. So then in that case, let me take you through our cast. Okay. Strange Days, 2030. Lenny Nero will be played by Stephen Yun. Mace will be Jessica Nicole. Jessica. Jessica Nicole. Faith will be Cara Delevingne. Max will be Ethan Supley. Philo Grant will be Wil- uh, Wilmer Valderrama. The two cops will be Jimmy Simpson and Aaron Taylor Johnson. Jericho One will be 2K, baby. Uh, Iris will be played by Bess Rue. Tick will be Eugene Cordero, and then Strickland, the police commissioner, will be Jeffrey Wright. All of this will be written by Ava DuVernay and directed, once again, by Catherine Bigelow. That sounds like a good ideal remake. Yeah. You gonna watch this movie? I would watch that movie. I, it might take me a couple tries, but I'll get through it. <laughs> see, how, see how bad it is. So, Danny, thank you so much for being a guest. Plug all of your things. Oh my Plug God. your social medias and, you know... Other things you do? Uh, like the books you're pointing at? Yeah. Yeah, for anyone who can't see it. Yes, so I am a, uh, I'm an author. I write a series called The Black Pages. By the time this podcast comes out, three books will be out, and then hopefully shortly after that, the fourth one as well. And that's largely it. If you look for my name on anywhere, on Barnes & Noble or Amazon or Audible or anything like that, you'll find my work. And yeah, I hope you like it. The The, the, the elevator pitch for it is... It's uh, about a young woman who has the ability to make herself fictional, and when she realizes those worlds are real, she starts trying to save all the nameless characters and stories that usually die or get flies ruined for the sake of advancing the plot. Awesome. So she, she does her own ideal remake all the time. <laughs> Unrelated to anything else, have you heard of Jasper Ford? So, fun thing about that, this is my, <laughs> am I allowed a bragging moment on this podcast? Yeah. All right. So, uh, I, one of the scariest things that I ever did was having my books reviewed by Kirkus. Kirkus is this 80-something-year-old company. They are the strictest but fairest book reviewers in the land. They have the top book reviewers. They are the most credible book review uh, site and magazine out there. And they're mainly for industry. They're not really for consumers. But that's part of why it's so scary to be reviewed by them. I had my... One of the things that happened was when people heard the, the plot of my series, they said, Oh... Yeah, that sounds a little bit like this. And I read, I ended up reading it. I read uh, The Air Affair, and it was actually 
not like it's my, not like the way you describe it is very different like, yeah and because i have read the air affair as well like i have read that whole series yes so the 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 brag moment for me i will say is they on both mine and uh, the air affair on Kirkus, when you see the uh, you might also like it, we link to each other. Uh-huh. That makes sense. But that said, Kirkus very distinctly and clearly liked my first book better than Air Affair. Yeah. They, congratulations. They uh they 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 kind of they gave a little bit of a eh to to Air Affair and then with mine <laughs> they were there was nothing but positive and uh that is my my slight flex. Although he sold way more books than I have, so maybe he gets to laugh. Eh, he gets to be British. <laughs> he gets to be British, and I and get to be fair. I I'm a fan of Jasper Ford. Like I've read his books, but like his air affair books are not the ones I like the most. His nursery crime books are great, and then he has a book series where I think he ended up coming out with the second one, but I I haven't read it yet. Called Shades of Grey, that I just really really like. But, like, he had to put it away for a really long time for obvious reasons. Yeah. But, yeah. I, so that that makes me even more excited to dive into your books because I really love that premise. Although, although to and, be fair, this might be the one thing that finally kills Kirkus's credibility. No, it's, no. It's saying that my first book was better than his first book. <laughs> well, if you want people to uh, join the debate, uh, what social media can they find you under? Go to uh, search for the Black Pages on Facebook. There's a Facebook page there. You can also find my uh, Twitter uh, at the name of the character is what I use. It's uh, at Alana Ruth Black. Spell Alana. Uh, E-L-A-N-A. And then Ruth and Black, I think we'll figure out. Yes. Alana Ruth Black. Yes. Cool. Cool. If Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank thank you for being here. If you're interested in finding me on the internet, I am on Twitter at, uh, at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H. Or if you're more interested in following the podcast, the podcast is... Also sort of me on Instagram at Ideal Remake or on Twitter at Ideal Remake or join us on Facebook, Ideal Remake or Ideal Remake Podcast. But the best thing you can do, and Danny, I'm sure you will concur, is to go online and leave a five-star review. It really helps. People pay attention to that. It's good. Or leave a one-star review and then people will go, oh my God, this was so bad. Don't do that. I'm Don't kidding. do that. Absolutely not. I'm kidding not. entirely. Five-star How reviews, dare please. You? <laughs> <laughs> so... More reviews, please. Yes, all the reviews. So then I will leave you with this. What is your favorite quote from the movie Strange Days? Besides gas is $3 a gallon? Yeah. Uh, it was an evocative movie. It was like it was one where it was it was gibberish, but I loved it. it was um tell me, have you ever have you ever jacked in? Have you ever wire tripped? I love that because it meant nothing, but you immediately knew what he was talking about. And it was it was a great way to like the way that it was the way that it was set up was it was descriptive and if you're world if you're world building with uh with weird technology you have to be able to say like oh yeah no he uh he got into my deck and people would be like okay yeah it's probably a computer thing <laughs> yeah, yeah that was a good line just for that reason and that's a that's it's probably not the the best quote but it was one that I thought was fun good love it 